Thank you, Shelley, for reading God's word to us this morning. Well, we're back in Matthew chapter 6 today, uh, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. If you would like to ask any questions about Matthew chapter 6, you can do so using uh, slideout.com with the hashtag HBSP, and I'll look at some of those questions after the sermon. Well, there's a, there's a well-known philosophical thought experiment that asks the following question. You'll see it up on the screen. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? I wonder how you would answer that question. And as I looked at some of the answers to this question, I thought that they were quite interesting. So I thought I would share a few of the answers with you. The first answer is this one, which is quite scientific for you scientific-minded ones out there. It depends on what you mean by sound. The airwaves would still vibrate, but without, without an ear or listening device to receive them, there would be no sound. So the answer is no. Or what about this one? This one's one of my favorite. The answer is yes. If you are there to hear it, it would make a sound. If you're not there to hear it, it would make a sound. Put a recording device near the tree. If the tree doesn't smash the recording device, listen to the recording uh, for proof of the sound. I like that, that makes sense to me as well. Or there's this one here. Yes, that's an arrogant question. What about all the animals that presumably hear it as well? Or this one here. A better question is, if a man speaks and there isn't a woman to hear him, is he still wrong? Yes. It's obvious, isn't it? But there is one question, the answer that I would uh, like to consider for a little bit longer to the question, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? This answer here. Isn't the point of the question this? If there was no way to establish whether there was a sound, then it ultimately doesn't matter. So this is the ethical answer in a way. If there's no way to establish whether there's a sound, does it matter? If there's nobody there to hear, would it matter whether or not the tree fell or not? And this is how some of us Christians feel sometimes. If, there's, if nobody hears or sees what I do, then does it matter? What's the point of any righteous act of God's glory, act for God's glory, if nobody actually sees those acts? Do they matter? And as we look at this passage Today we will see that what we do when no one is looking matters greatly. Not only do they matter, but Jesus says they are of utmost importance. But I want to warn you now that if you are thinking to yourself, I know someone who needs to hear this that person who is always boasting about what they do or don't do, I hope they're paying attention in this sermon because they need to hear this. I want you to stop right now and look into your own heart because what Jesus says here should affect 
all of us. It should challenge every one of us here today. His message is not a means by which we can point fingers at our brothers and sisters. Today we see that what we do in secret before God is of great importance. And so let's begin by praying that God would help us personally as we look at his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know what we need before we ask you. You know the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word, to understand it, and to have it challenge the way we live as we aim to serve you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the very first verse of chapter 6 here is a summary statement of what's to come. So please follow along as I read some of chapter 6, starting at chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So in the very first verse, Jesus makes it clear there is a problem when we practice our righteousness, our righteous deeds, that is, before others in order to receive praise from them. And so Jesus is concerned that how we act before others indicates the type of relationship we have with God. So our righteous deeds, they come out of a relationship we have with God. We give to the needy because we have a relationship with God. And God sees our giving as a righteous action. We pray to our Father in heaven because we have a relationship with him. And he hears our prayers because it is right for us to speak to him. And we fast. And in our fasting, we show our dependence on God. And he acknowledges our attempts to be more dependent on him. But this here is not an extensive, exhaustive list. There are plenty of other examples of righteous deeds that we can do as a result of having a relationship with God. But as with all deeds, as we practice them, Jesus here is warning us that we can be tempted to use them for our own selfish ambition. To believe that if they are not seen by others, then there's, no, there's little benefit to doing them. But the problem is when we do this, we fall into the trap of looking for approval of others. We desire the praise of others, the acceptance of others, the gratification that comes when we, get, when we are seen by others for doing good deeds. And when we do this, Jesus says that not only have we received our reward already, but we are also hypocritical in how we are acting. And we give up the reward offered to us by our Heavenly Father. 
But we've already seen in chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus' command that says this. If you flip back a page or two, chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is expecting those who follow him that we will shine before others, that our good works will be seen by others because through our good works, the Father receives glory. So is he now, when he says, do these things in secret and don't let others see them, is Jesus actually contradicting himself? Well, no, he's not. What Jesus is saying here is that God sees and knows what's in our heart and how our heart before God is what matters. And so as we go through chapter 6 here, the structure is very clear throughout this passage. Jesus repeats himself three times. He says the same thing. When you give or pray or fast, do not do as the hypocrites do, because they have received their reward already. But when you give or pray or fast, do it in secret. And your Father, who is in secret, sees you and will reward you. And so the caution here is the same for all through three. When we practice our righteousness in order to be seen by others and to gain their favor, it is hypocritical. Why is it hypocritical? Because we are behaving in a way that suggests that we have a higher moral standard than we actually do. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. By showing others what we should, that what should be kept between us and God, we are seeking worldly praise, and in doing so, we have devalued our relationship with God. We have devalued it to the point where our good deeds are not worth anything anymore other than the praise that we have already received by those around us. We are pretending to be better than we are. We are pretending that our relationship with God is better than it actually is, and we are just putting on a performance for others to see. And so Jesus says if we are acting in order to receive praise from others, then there will be no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So guard yourself from this temptation. Now notice with me how in all three examples, Jesus gives us a strategy by which we are to guard ourselves. He says we are to practice our righteousness before God in secret. If we have a personal relationship with God, it should be seen in the intimate way that we relate to him in secret. 
It is between you and God in secret. So look uh, with me at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here we see that giving to the needy is expected of those who follow Jesus. Because God gives us our daily bread, we will give to the needy. So we give to the needy because of what he has already done for us as a result of having an intimate and personal relationship with him. And notice Jesus uses this metaphor here where he says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He does this to explain how secret we should be when we give. Not only should we not tell others that we are doing it, but in some way, however this works for you, we shouldn't even tell ourselves that we are doing it. How do we do this? Well, what we realize is that our self-conscious giving can turn into self-righteous giving. And so whether we brag to others or brag to ourselves, we have received our reward here and now, and we have done as the hypocrites do. So I want to ask you, do you give wanting recognition? Do you give to justify your excessive spending somewhere else? What is the motive behind your giving? What does your heart look like when you give? Jesus is saying that our relationship with God must never be used for self-promotion. And the same thing goes for praying. Read with me verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Praying is expected for those who follow Jesus. And it flows out of a relationship we have with God. Jesus himself has given us access to God so that we no longer have to speak through the priests or through the temple. We just talk to him like my son speaks to me. So I, as a son, speak to God. And here Jesus says, to do this in the privacy of our own rooms. But he's not saying that we don't pray in public, but when we do also pray in public, do we do it to be seen by others? 
Because if this is what motivates us, then we have already received our reward. So ask yourself, who are you trying to please with your fancy prayers? Is your public prayer life an overflow of your private prayers? How we talk to our Father, our relationship with God, should not be used for self-exaltation. And look with me at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. For those of us who follow Jesus, fasting is expected. It is a way that we can humble ourselves in dependence on God. As we distance ourselves, as we fast from things that we come to rely on in this world, it allows us to demonstrate our dependence on God. And as we do, our relationship with God is strengthened and we grow closer to him in our time of need. We do it for God rather than for others. We do it for God rather than doing it for our waistline. So ask yourself, what does fasting do? What does fasting look like for you? What are you tempted to depend on more than God? And how can you fast to show your dependence on the one who provides every good thing? Because our relationship with God should never be used for self-praise. And so here in this passage, we see that giving to the needy, praying, and fasting are all things that demonstrate our trust in God as we relate to him. But with each righteous act, Jesus is very quick to warn us, do not do them to be praised by others. They should not be used for self-promotion, self-exaltation, or self-praise. If they are, they become deeds that are completely corrupted, and not worthy of a reward. Our sinful nature can even affect our acts of righteousness. In this passage, not only does Jesus give us the means by which we can guard ourselves from hypocritical righteousness, but he also provides us a prayer. At the center of the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus teaches us how to pray. And so read with me from verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need 
before you ask him. Well, I'm not a very terribly academic person, but over the years I've had to write quite a few sermons, sorry, quite a few essays. And I know that when you write essays, that the word count actually matters. In my case, I would say that oftentimes the number of words mattered more than the words themselves. And when I was in Bible college, we used to challenge each other. My friends and uh, I used to challenge each other uh, when we wrote essays to put particular things in our essays, random facts. And so one time I was challenged to put in one of my essays that John Calvin and Martin Luther were four months and 26 years apart in age. And not only that, that John Calvin actually shared the same birthday as me. So I put this in one of my essays. And it didn't seem to affect my mark at all. And so I challenged somebody else to put in the fact that Calvin actually owned a dog. And he had to put his dog's name in the essay. And it didn't seem to affect his result either. Recently, I've actually, uh, we, were, we were discussing this, and I heard how some people actually write gibberish in their sermons, and then they highlight the words, and they change the color to white so nobody can see them. I'd never heard of this done before, just to get words so that you have the right number of words for your essay. The gibberish there just added. Some of you guys have done that, haven't you? Yeah, I can see you there. And, and the gibberish simply just adds more words. And so we can also be tempted to do this when we speak to God. We place importance on the sheer volume of words that we say and the phrases we use rather than considering the content of our prayers. And Jesus says we should not do this. Why? Because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He just wants us to ask. And so at the very beginning of verse 9, Jesus says, pray like this. And the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer is as significant as the complexities found in it. The prayer that Jesus models here before us is a simple prayer that can be prayed by a three-year-old or a 30-year-old. It can be prayed by an 18-year-old or an 80-year-old. It can be prayed by somebody who studied theology their entire life as much as it can be prayed by somebody who opens up the Bible for the first time. It's a prayer for the persecuted church around the world, and it is a prayer for you and me. Jesus prays a simple prayer to his Father who is in heaven because he is the Son. And we can pray the same prayer as sons and daughters to our Father who is in heaven. And Jesus has just explained to us 
not to worry about the number of words or the phrases we use or how well we pray. He simply wants us to talk to our Father who is in heaven. And so we talk to God, the all-knowing, all-powerful God, and we accept that he has the authority over the heavens and the earth, and we ask him to provide us with our everyday needs, like bread. And we ask him to forgive us our sins because we know that we have sinned against him. And we ask him to help us to forgive others because it is difficult to do that. And we ask him for his help because we are all tempted and we all do the wrong thing. And we talk to God in our own voice, in our own style, without worrying about whether we use the right words or not, or the right phrases or not, and without worrying about how many words we use. Because he knows what we need before we ask him. The simplicity of this prayer is so profound. It is so significant. Jesus says, pray. I want to take some time to look at Jesus' concluding remarks in verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your your Father forgive forgive your trespasses. How are we to read these verses? Should we understand them to mean that God's forgiveness of our sins is conditional on us forgiving others of their sins? Do we first have to forgive others before God will forgive us? And I would like to say no, that is not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is that God forgives those who recognize and understand that their need for forgiveness, and they have an attitude of forgiveness towards others. Once again, Jesus strikes at the state of our heart before God. And we can so easily be fooled into thinking that forgiveness is meant to be easy for us, but it's not. And I suspect a lot of you here today know fully well how difficult it is to forgive others. Forgiveness is not easy. It doesn't come naturally to us. And it can take us a lifetime to work through. But here it's more than just a recommendation. Jesus says we must be seeking to reconcile our differences to others. We must forgive those who sin against us. And so we must ask ourselves, if I'm holding a grudge, if I'm refusing to forgive, am I not a hypocrite? How can my relationship with my Father in heaven, who forgives me of every one of my sins, ever reach maturity ever grow if I'm not prepared to forgive those who sin against me. I thought it would be good to conclude by reading uh, from Corey Ten Boom's books. 
and her thoughts on forgiveness from the book The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom, if you don't know, her family spent many years opening their doors to Jewish refugees, hiding them and providing safety for them in World War II. But eventually they were reported and she and her family were arrested and imprisoned. Corey was eventually released and she went for many years um, into public speaking. And these are her thoughts on forgiveness, which I think are very instructive and helpful. She writes, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often on to the people in Bloomingdale, the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. He was going, sorry, uh, uh, Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so I began again to breathe a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When Jesus tells us to forgive, he gives with this command his own life so that we can be forgiven and have a relationship with our Father in heaven so that in turn we can also forgive others. Jesus is saying here that if our heart is right before God, then how we behave in front of others should be an overflow of how we behave in secret before him. Our faith should not be a performance. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, help us to have a right heart before you so that as we act before others, it might be seen as an overflow of how we are in secret before you. Use our good deeds for your purpose that others might see them and give glory to you and not us. Make us people who desire your praise rather than the validation and praise of others. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, you might like to make, take a few minutes to consider what was said and possibly ask a question using slido.com.